welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor Tim Barone. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, As we're looking, we're kind of shifting from our emphasis on our family and our home relationships into the relationships that we have um, together in the church. And we're going to be looking at this reality that God calls us into relationship in the church. Uh, That the church is a unique group of people in all the world And we're going to be looking at some of those unique characteristics and then thinking and praying about how we might more fully participate in the church together. But first, we're going to look at the description of the church in Acts chapter 2. This is right after the day of Pentecost. Uh, And you might remember in that story, like Katie was just, just saying, that the Holy Spirit came down and suddenly the apostles could speak in other tongues, speaking different languages. And because of that, they were able to proclaim the gospel to a crowd of thousands of people who spoke tons of different languages, and then all of a sudden, people were believing this message about Jesus, and they received baptism. The ones who believed him received this baptism and their children, and 3,000 were added to their number in one day. That's a pretty good sermon, by the way. Uh, But right after this, we have this description of the church that we heard Um, from the book of Acts. And so we're going to be spending our time there. And the first characteristic of the church that we want to look at is the activity of the church. What are these people doing together as they are found in Christ? And so the first thing that we see is they're devoted. So that's the first one. The church is devoted. Um, You know, a lot of people say something like, well, you know, I'm not very religious, but I'm spiritual. And That's an interesting thing to say, you know, it just kind of means I believe whatever I want to believe. (laughs) But if we look at the New Testament church, they are super religious. And that word religion just means you're relegating, you're, you're devoting yourself to something. You have a pattern of life where you're fixed. You recognize that the answers are not inside of your heart, but rather they are outside of yourself. They're located in the mouth of Jesus And in the word of God that is preached. And so what we see is that these people are devoted not to their own inclinations, not to journaling in their diaries, but they are devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so these people are called together with a common goal, a common purpose, and a common Lord. And that Lord is Jesus Christ and his word. And so this is what causes the church to be united, right? There's lots of things that can divide people in our world right now today, but there's always been lots of things that divide people. But what's unique about the church is their devotion to one common Lord and their confidence in that. And so we as the church, we too are to be devoted to the scriptures, We are to be devoted to the words of the apostles. And I want to look at our gospel reading uh, just briefly to help us with our confidence in this. 
Um, a lot of people will say something like, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really believe that the Word of God, the Bible, is really His words. And so you can kind of test yourself in this just by simply saying, do I spend time reading the Scriptures? And when I read the Scriptures, do I expect that God is speaking to me through these Scriptures or it's just some human's opinion? You see, the higher the the idea you have about the scriptures, the more amazing they are in your life, the more gravity they have for your decisions. If you believe it's just some guys writing down, or maybe it's a corrupted text or something like that, what point is there to read the scriptures? Right? But if you have confidence that these are the words of Jesus, that these are the teachings of Jesus' apostles, he sent them to tell you something, to speak directly into your life. If you believe that, then you'll go to that. You'll be devoted to that often. You'll believe someone's on the other side of the line. Someone's actually talking to you and giving you truth in your life. And this is what the early church believed. They believed that the apostles' teaching had authority from Jesus, and for good reason. In the gospel reading, Uh, In John chapter 14, we see Jesus preparing his disciples. This is before his crucifixion. And he's preparing his disciples for the next phase of their lives. And he's encouraging them by saying that he will not leave them as orphans, but he will come to them and he will send the Spirit to them. And this is uh, part of what he says in John chapter 14. He says, the helper will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's saying this to the apostles. And so this is kind of a unique gift, a unique promise to the apostles. He's saying, you're going to have a super memory recall ability by the Holy Spirit to bring to light everything that I have taught to you. Isn't that good? Because, you know, if you're like me, I can't really remember what happened three weeks ago. But the apostles are trusted with the entire history of what Jesus did and said. That's that's a pretty high standard, but God would help them with that. So we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who came by the promise of Jesus and came into the apostles so that they could write accurately what Jesus said and what he did. And that's why we have confidence that when we read the words of Jesus, we're actually reading the words of Jesus. We actually have his words given to us. And Jesus says, if you're listening to my words, you truly love me. People who don't love me don't listen to my words. They're not interested. But as you're listening to my words, you're truly loving me. And you're listening not only to me, but to the one who sent me. And so this is the first characteristic of the church. We are united together in devotion to God's word. That's what we're united. We're united around God's word, and we say his word is truth no matter what. And so there's a lot of people who have have changed churches in their life, and I just want to be honest with you. There is a lot of bad reasons to change churches. A really bad reason is because of your preferences. It's like I I just don't connect with the people there or something like that, or the Maybe the, the just human comforts. Maybe that other church has a smoothie bar, you know, and you're interested in that. But there's a lot of bad reasons to change churches. Most of, most of them are human convenience factors. 
But there's a lot of good reasons to change churches. And the number one is, if a church is giving you the word of God purely and clearly, that's the church you want to be in. If the church is holding out on you or ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of anything that the apostles taught, you should be suspicious of that church. Whose word are they trusting? But if a church is saying, we are not ashamed of the gospel, we are not ashamed of the word of God, and we trust that Jesus saw to it that we would have his words through his holy apostles, and we're going to hold to that word, that's the place you want to be. Because that word of God creates in you faith. And we cannot afford to get this one wrong. We need to know who Jesus is and what he says accurately. And so we want all of it. And we want to be devoted to all of it. And so that's the first characteristic of the true church is they are devoted to Jesus and they are devoted to those apostles that he entrusted with the truth from his mouth. And that leads us to another reality about the church So the first is that we're devoted uh, to the Word of God. And so as a church, we're called to do that. Each one of us in the church are called to be devoted together to God's Word. And that leads to a really interesting characteristic, and that is we're together. And so the second thing that is uh, the characteristic we want to look at is this togetherness or this unity. It says this in Acts chapter 2, and all who believed were together together. And had all things in common. Now I just want you to marvel a little bit about that reality. Because who were these people that had all things in common? Like just a few chapters ago, or just earlier in this chapter actually, in Acts chapter 2. It was saying people from all over the known world were together. They spoke dozens of different languages. right? They were from different places. They ate different kind of food. Right? And suddenly these people are thrown together all into one group of people and it says that they have all things in common. Are you kidding me? They don't even speak the same language. You know how hard it is to be having all things in common when you have a language barrier? That's difficult. But here it says there's this supernatural community that's been created by God And they have all things in common together. That is a product of being devoted to one source of truth. Right? In other words, the church is not a democracy. Thanks be to God. Right? We're not arguing over opinions. We're not trying to find our own way or invent our own ways. No, we're just simply holding fast to the truth that God gave to us. And because of that, the church can truly be united. We can truly have all things in common because we're looking to one common source for God's truth. And we're all coming under a common submission to that truth. And that creates agreement with one another. And so you might think, you know, what do I have in common with these people in the church? But just like these people in the early church, you have everything in common together with those in the church. You have your identity in common, you have your, your destiny in common. Your identity is that you, just like every other person in the church, are a sinner who knows it and who has come finding the mercy of Jesus in the waters of baptism and in his love. And so you're united in the church not by your strength or your power, but by your weakness and by your common need of Jesus. 
The Bible tells us that we have been called into a holy nation, a royal priesthood in the name of Jesus. So we have been united under one identity. Our sins have been forgiven. And what we have in common now is we are forgiven children of God. We have lots in common together. And also our destiny is united as well. We are all going to the new creation. In Christ, those who have received the promises of Jesus, we will have a fate that is connected to Jesus's. We will rise again from the dead. We will stand again on the earth and rule and reign with him together. And so I always kind of like to think about this. Those people sitting next to you in church, you could say to them, it'll be nice getting to know you for the rest of time, (laughs) for eternity. We are called together into a commonality that is profound, united in our identity and our destiny in Christ. And so this this picture of the church continues. It tells us that they have all things in common, that the church doesn't look at, at the other people in the church and say, I don't have anything in common with them. Instead, in the church, we think people of different ages, different languages, different places, different socioeconomic status, rich and poor, we're all together because we have all been forgiven in Christ. There's really no other organization that has the newborns along with people who are over 100 in the same room for the same purpose. Can you think of any others? There's very few. It's a lot like your own earthly family. And part of this Unity is formed by this reality that you did not choose to be a part of the church. Right? A church is not a voluntary organization, but rather God has chosen you and put you together with common believers. Right? Think about when, when you were born, right? when you started to grow in this world, in your earthly family. You didn't know anybody. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your your uncle or your aunt or your cousins. They were just there. God chose them for you. And eventually you got to know them more and more as you realized, oh, I'm related to these people. And it's the same thing in the church. Jesus says in John chapter 15 that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will abide. In other words, God is the one choosing people to be in his church. And because God is the one choosing, it's not based on our preferences, but it's based on God's preferences. The church is called together by his will, and we are made to have all things in common, no matter what our background is, no matter who we are, no matter what language we speak, we're called together into one common body. And so that they hold all things in common because they are chosen by Jesus. The next thing that that leads to, that unity that we have in the church, is that it causes us to be generous people. It causes us to be generous people. And this is what it says. The description is, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so what we see is this new group of people that's, that's brought together, they're not just breaking off into social groups, right? There's not the rich and the poor anymore. 
but they have all thing in common, all things in common. This is reflected by their finances. Right? And so this is one of the, the characteristics of the church is that the church is a generous people. The church is a generous people. And so there's a reason for this, right? If you think about outside of the church, people who are not saved, meaning they don't believe in Jesus, right? In their lives, they have 70, 80 years, 90 if they're real strong, but that's it. And they're aware of this. They know that as they are living life, right, that it's coming to an end. And so because of this fear that looms over them, they think of their money as, this is what's going to sustain me, right? This is what's going to help me get along in this life. And I have to, everything's diminishing, so I have to keep as much as I can for myself. I have to make sure I'm taken care of because I'm the only one looking out for me. And in fact, I only live once, so the, the point of this life is to get as much money and as much resources as possible so that I can get the clothes that I want, right? So that I could drive the car that I want, so that I can have the best life possible until it's all just ripped away from me. And that fear drives them to be selfish. But in the church, we know this, that God has already given us a greater treasure that we could ever afford in the person of Jesus Christ, right? God has placed into your hands the treasure of eternal life through Jesus. Think about this for a second. If you are rich, if you have lots of money, but your health is failing, what do you do with all your money? You spend it all on doctors. And in fact, in that time, money is revealed to be what it truly is. It's, it's not powerful enough to give you all things. Right? But if you know that you have eternal life already today, as you believe in Jesus, you already have passed from death to life, from judgment to peace. And if that's true because of what Jesus has done for you, then you already are the inheritor of eternal life and the world that is to come. In other words, the one who owns everything in this life has already come to you, has already loved you, has already secured your future. And so if that's the case, what is the point of the money that we have? You see, the church looks at our resources and we, we recognize every single thing is a gift from God. And beyond that, even if I gave all my money away, even if I starved to death, I would be okay because of what Jesus has done for me. And I would be resurrected once again and all things would be given back to me. And so Christians radically reevaluate their money. And they look at their money and they say, what is this then for? And they realize it's for valuing what God has valued already. And what has God valued already? People. What is the most important thing in your life? It's other people. How, why do we say that? Because Jesus shed his blood for all people. He gives us the value of every human life. He says the value of every human life is infinite because Jesus gave his life, his body, his blood on the cross, given up freely, an exquisite cost for every human being. And that's what's truly important. And so the money that God 
puts into our hands, we use for the sake of those other people around us. We use to build each other up freely. No one's forcing us to do this. No one's taking taxes out of our wallets to do this. There's no coercion here. These people, out of love for God and out of gratitude for what He has done for them, uh, hold their blessings uh, with an open hand instead of a closed fist. And they're willing to spend their money to raise up those around them, especially in the church. You know, Jesus, in the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he gives the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in that parable, he says, whatever you have done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done unto me. And so Christians know that as they are serving in the church, as they are loving their brothers and sisters in the church, who they're really serving is God himself. They're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and so they do it freely. And so in the church, one of the characteristics of the church is that there's no one who is in need, right? There's no one who's going without, that those who have come into the church are being valued by those who have resources and lifted up. God has united them together and caused them to have the same heart. And because of this, uh, they are generous with the, the gifts that God has given to them. And so a church is to be generous. We are called in the church to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ and to use our finances to do this. And this is one of the, the unique markers of the church. And then uh, finally... One of the last things we'll look at today is that the church is increasing. And I want you to pay close attention to what it says here. It says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so notice that people, it doesn't say that people were just lining up to jump in, but rather that the Lord is adding people. Do you see that? Like I mentioned, no one really chooses to be with God. God comes and finds them like a good shepherd and brings them in. And if God has chosen you and me uh, of, no, of no reason except for grace and mercy for us, doesn't that also mean that he could choose anyone? Right? That God could pick anyone to include into our congregation. And so one of the markers of the church is the, mar- the marker of the church is that we are a hospitable people, right? Because God called us to be his own when we were unlovely, when we were unlovable, when we were not productive, when we were not worthy, when we were not important. That's when God said, I want you to come and eat at my table. You're not going to add anything to me, but I want you to come and be with me because I love you. And so because the people in the church have been recipients of that kind of hospitality, we then can turn to the outside and be hospitable to them. God is greedy for people. He is not satisfied with just simply having salvation being given to just you and me. He wants all people to be saved. And he's working to that end by the gospel right now. And so as the church, one of the challenges to us is that we would be open to people who are outsiders, open to people who are entering into the church, willing to be inconvenienced uh, 
to welcome them through our doors, welcome them to our tables, welcome them into our relationships. You know, one of the most common human uh, frustrations happens in friend circles, right? Where you want to be a friend with somebody, but really they have their own friends and they're kind of too busy for you. That you want to be inside of a clique or something like that, but they just don't let you in. And so you feel that exclusion. And this is a very painful experience that most humans go through at some time in their life. Well, the reason for that is, is the same reason that people are, are selfish with their money. It's because they think that resources are fleeting. They think that their point in life is just to wall up, is to get to the best situation possible and to raise the bar so that no one else can get into those resources, which in this case is relationships and friendships. But the church is called to be open like a sponge, Right? Called to not have boundaries towards certain types of people because we don't prefer them, but rather called to be open to what the Lord might do among us. And so as Christians, we are called to cross the room, right? to go and introduce ourselves to people we don't know, to love people who are not like us, who don't look like us, who don't speak the same language as us, but to be willing to what the Holy Spirit is doing as he's bringing people among us, right? as he is calling more people uh, into our midst. And so the church really is a strange animal, right? We are a strange people in that we are people who are completely exclusive in one sense, and we are people who are completely inclusive in another sense, and we hold that tension We're completely exclusive in that we say there is one Lord, there is one truth, there is one God, there is one way, and we're not going to say anything else. We're never going to go back and say, well, maybe Jesus was wrong, or maybe the apostles were wrong. We're completely exclusive in that we have one truth, and those who want to tear down that truth are not welcome Those who want to change that truth or threaten that truth, they're not welcome because we're totally devoted to one Lord, the same, together. And at the same time, we're completely inclusive because we say, if God chose me, uh, as broken as I am, as lowly as I am, as seeing the truth of my heart in all of its blackness and still loving me, then he can include anybody. He can, he, and he is. He can include anybody into this fellowship around his mercy and his love. And so the church is a unique organization in which we are holding tightly to one truth and reaching out for all people to be welcomed into this. And you, dear friends in Christ, are called into this church. You are called to live in that tension, to live in the inconsistencies and the inconvenience of being called together with other sinners that you did not choose, but God chose for you. And so as he is working among us, may he increase in us our devotion to the word of God. May he increase in us our unity together. May he increase in us our generosity and our love for one another, and may he increase in us 
our willingness and our ability to be welcoming and hospitable to outsiders. In the name of Jesus, amen.